Um, as you just heard, we're looking at some specific gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. And in Corinthians, Paul reminds us to follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. This is something for us. For us. All of us are here because we've got some degree of faith. Faith involves confidence in something that we hope for, but we can't lay our hands on. It's not tangible. Assurance about something we cannot see. But there's different sorts of faith, as John alluded to. And at its most basic, it means believing that something's true. The Christian faith believes in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which is always what you can say to a Jehovah's Witness when they come to the door, because they don't believe that. And we can't see these things, these people, these God, you know, God, we believe that is what God is like. And it's important to hold on to that belief, because we've got a culture that doesn't believe it. But a step beyond that basic assent to something that is true is the level of belief that says, you know what, I'm going to trust my life to God. It's the saving faith of putting your trust in Jesus. Faith that you can be reconciled to God because Jesus has taken your wrongdoing on himself. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, this is a gift of God. And when we put our trust in God, when we've had that faith, we're then called to walk the Christian way and commit our lives to him. So there's another level of faith, which is that that we exercise as we go on through the months and the years. The faith that the Holy Spirit develops within us as we learn to step out and trust the promises of God in good times and bad times. When we're excited and when we're struggling to cope with difficulty. And as we gain evidence as the months and years go by, so that strengthens our faith in the faithfulness of God. And as we mature, every one of us, every believer might expect to experience these three types of faith. Belief, saving trust, and commitment. But what Paul is talking about today is another sort of faith. It's a specific faith that is not necessarily experienced by everybody. It is a gift given for the building up of the kingdom and given by the Holy Spirit. And this faith can be described perhaps as the specific ability to trust God in the dark when all the odds are stacked against you. An unwavering conviction that God will do as he says. It's the kind of confidence, that surge of confidence that Jesus describes as being a faith that can move mountains. It's transrational. It's beyond what is reasonable to expect, given the circumstances. And it can't be worked up 
by our own holiness or, or um, claimed even as some kind of trophy of what a wonderful Christian we are. Instead, it's an unmerited present that God gives for the good of his kingdom. And a person may receive it at just a certain time, a certain season of life. Though if they're prepared to keep exercising it, God may give it again and again. But it's not necessarily a permanent gift. And exercising this gift of faith means actually acting on what we believe. Our behavior becomes based on the promises, the certainty of the promises, even though they haven't yet taken place. So what are the conditions that someone might experience this amazing faith? Well, because it is God's gift, not ours, it's not associated with some particular sort of personality. You don't have to be a glass half full kind of person. It's not dependent on any person's own abilities or their resources that they have. It's not limited by the prevailing circumstances or the human possibilities of a situation. But what it does need is for someone to have a trusting relationship with God. They might be a really new Christian. They don't have to be mature and wise, but they do need to trust God and recognize him in their life. Recognize that he's working out their pur- his purposes. In other words, they've already got the Holy Spirit within them. And when we rely on God with this gift of faith, we have to let go of our trust in ourselves. We have to believe in the goodness of God's intentions. This faith is given for the common good. In other words, the objective for which we are given faith is usually not one for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Now, that's a helpful guideline so that we don't confuse our own personal yearnings with the gift of faith. As humans, we all have persistent longings. It might be for a child. It might be for a life partner. That may or may not be part of God's plan for you, but it's not necessarily related to the furtherance of God's earthly kingdom, whereas the gift of supernatural faith is linked with the furtherance of God's kingdom. In fact, it's a gift that's often given when we are in community, when we're worshipping. It's one of God's tools to equip the whole church to move forward. Usually, exercising this particular gift requires patience and commitment. The ability to hold on in prayer over many years regarding a particular issue. Just as any parent cannot forget their offspring, so somebody given this gift will lay hold of the promises of God and they will not let go. And that's hard Because sometimes they won't actually see the fruit of their conviction come to pass within their own lifetime. They'll only witness it from heaven. As the writer of Hebrews said in the great chapter, 
chapter on faith, chapter 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now that's tough. When the months and the years roll by and nothing seems to be happening, those around us might think, well, perhaps that isn't really what God wants. Or they might think, did you really hear God? You sure? And of course, the devil would always prefer us to look at the difficulty of the waves rather than trust in the promise of the Messiah who holds out his hand to us. I love that window over there of Peter coming to Christ in faith. But actually, those situations when people are doubting, when they're not sure, when the difficulty seems so great, are exactly when this gift is needed by the church. So that the church doesn't lose confidence in journeying on with God. But above all, exercising amazing faith needs to go hand in hand with obedience. We're not talking cerebral, rational conviction here, but a gift that requires us to step out, a gift that thrives in a climate of risk-taking, a gift which means we have to be willing to fail and willing to act as if something's already happened. Our unwavering conviction that God will do as he says should enable us to operate as if the promise has already come true. When Paul, who was a landlubber, a tent maker, told seasoned sailors in Acts 27 that they would all survive a terrifying two-week-long, at that stage, storm, very few would have believed him. In fact, they were actively trying to escape by lowering the lifeboat without anyone realising But Paul declared, keep up your courage, men, that I have faith in God that it uh, will happen just as he told me. So take some food. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. Paul's faith was such that he actually asked the soldiers to cut away and get rid of the lifeboat. Not going to need it, he said. His faith-filled behaviour encouraged those aboard to have hope again. And the result? Everybody made it to land. So there should never be any arrogance associated with amazing faith. And let's face it, when actually you, you know, declare that something's going to happen that nobody else believes, they're going to think you're a bit daft. There's no space for arrogance. They might think that when we start acting as if something is happening already, that we're potty. But faith-filled, the faith-filled need to humbly submit themselves to God's imperative. If we care more about what other people think of us, than honouring the conviction that the Lord has placed in our hearts, if our self-esteem is more important than our esteem for God, we're going to quench this gift. So what's it like in operation? Well, there are lots of 
examples I've got from the Bible and from beyond. Amazing faith trusts God in situations that are beyond human accomplishing. The man who eventually became the father of the Jewish race was married to a woman way too old to conceive a child, and heaven knows they've been trying for decades. Yet God had promised that they would have offspring. And Romans tells us, without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. But he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Sarah, too, considered him faithful who had made the promise. The result? Descendants too numerous to number. In the New Testament, Jesus acknowledged the amazing faith of the Roman centurion. He doesn't even need the saviour to come to his house to heal the centurion's servant because he's so sure that Jesus' word will accomplish what it speaks of. A healing that was beyond human accomplishment. So just because something doesn't look humanly possible, We should not anticipate that God will fail and the gift of faith can look beyond. Supernatural faith goes beyond what we can imagine. I'm pretty sure that Noah wasn't living by the coast when he started building a massive boat in his back garden. Who could ever have imagined that there would be so much water enough to float that boat onto the top of a mountain? But Noah was certain about what God had told him. And he demonstrated amazing faith when nothing in his experience could have suggested that they would have that much water. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to the Lord for his family. By faith, his faith actually showed up the lack of faith in others. So our human imagination may not be wide enough to understand God's bigger picture, but amazing faith can grasp a destination even if they can't quite see how we're going to get there. Transrational faith obeys God when doing so really flies in the face of human reason. What sense was there in a 75-year-old pensioner leaving his home, his estate, his land, his prosperous business and going off, he didn't even know where, into the desert? Well, it's because God said so, and that's what Abraham did. Irrational? Absolutely. Honouring God? Yes. I wonder... What it would look like if, like Abraham, we disrupted the status quo here at APC on the certainty that God was asking us to venture into an unknown future? Would we be prepared to cope with the change to the way that we like things done? Are we prepared to listen to those 
gifted with supernatural faith who suggest stepping out. I'm not saying that I know what such a future might look like, but I believe there are members of this congregation to whom God has given a faith-filled conviction. And I believe it because, as John stressed, we have all been given gifts for the body, for all. Each one of us is part of the body, and we have all, it says, to each one manifestation of the Spirit is given. God calls us, like he called Abraham, not to be static, but dynamic. Not to stay comfortable, but to venture beyond what we already have. Now, of course, we do need to test that that is what we believe the Holy Spirit is saying. We are part of a body. We don't go it alone. So we should always confirm that a a future prospect that we have a conviction about, is in line with what we already know about the character of God. We should humbly share it with other mature people of faith so that they can pray into it. That's why this is listed as one of the gifts alongside things like the gift of prophecy, the gift of wisdom, the gift of the ability to distinguish between spirits. It isn't to be operated on its own. But once the church as a whole has accepted that God's intentions for the future are being revealed to the person with faith, it is the faith gifted who will quietly and doggedly hold on to that vision and thereby help others to keep faith. Last week we celebrated, didn't we, the completion of the Church Centre Project. Fully built, fully paid off. In 1970, Pete Ford kept trusting that one day APC would expand its ministry beyond the confines of these walls. He lobbied against some opposition that the prefabs that were being demolished with the old school, one of them should be kept. Not that that would be the final solution, but it would keep the church going meanwhile. He had a vision of a new building to be constructed. And despite slow progress through the noughties and the nineties and the noughties, problems with planning, problems with finance, he kept going, even when every avenue seemed blocked. And his faith convinced others to keep going. It encouraged others. People have told me how they've witnessed in him how the Holy Spirit gave him the gift of amazing faith so that the church would hold on and keep true to God's plan. He's not the only one. Nicky. This is Nicky Thomas, who worships usually at St. Thomas's, but um, she is associated with something called the Thomas Project. It's a ministry that helps the most vulnerable in our community. When, Nikki, did you first have the conviction that this was something it needed doing? Um, 
I gave my life back to Christ in 2007, started to pray that he had a purpose, what would it be? And in 2007, 2008, he gave me the vision for the Thomas Project. And at the time, did you have the the resources, the people, the money to do that? Oh, no, no, absolutely (laughs) not. So how long did it take from 2007 before you managed to get the premises on Lancaster Road? Well, in 2009, I tried to set up this project myself with my own money and finding premises myself. God shut all the doors. Um, I then went and did another job for about three years. And in 2012, I felt that God was saying it was time to get the Thomas Project up and running. So I knew the concept, but I didn't know where it was meant to be or how it would come to fruition. So I'd do daft things like drive to different housing estates and sit in the car and pray and say, "Okay, this time you've got to do it, God. Um, Show me premises, buildings, people, etc. And I did that for over three months, not Mm -hmm. feeling that God was speaking at all. And in sheer desperation, I went to Evan, the minister at Mm -hmm. St. Thomas's at the time, said what I'd been doing. And it turned out that family guidance and community welfare, the person who'd set that up had retired. He just sort of stopped doing anything. And could I share with their trustees the vision for the Thomas Project, which is what happened so, and they they passed it, and the Thomas Project sits on that foundation. So, so but it started in in that location there yes, where that did. was operating, which was Lancaster. In two, yeah, in yeah. two thousand and thirteen. Yeah. yeah. So everything sorted. End of story. Mm-hmm. So you think? So you think? <laughs> no, you you your faith had to carry on trusting. Oh yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, we'd been going for about twelve months. Everything was great. We'd been running food bank. People had started to come to the premises. But it was set in a residential area, which was upsetting the neighbours. So almost 12 months to the date of starting and launching, we were given an eviction notice by Warsaw Housing Group, and we had to leave those premises. Mm. But I always knew that wasn't the end of the vision. You know, why would God give a vision just for a a short season? So I, I knew without any doubt that God would move us on from Lancaster Avenue Set, set us up and establish us again. Yeah. I just didn't know where. So. so you're now up and running in Lazy Hill. About how many people sort of come through your doors or are affected oh, by the ministry over, say, a month Probably roughly, be, we get probably between 240 and 300 visitors a month. Okay. But I never expected God <laughs> to show up quite like he does. So. And if we pray for you, which I'd like to do just now very briefly... Yeah. what's your key thing you want praying for? Well, I don't, I I believe the initial vision isn't the whole vision. I believe God is continuing to lead us forward. I believe there's growth in the future for the project, but again, I don't know what that looks like. So it's just discerning and keep staying obedient and keep discerning what his will is. Okay. Lord Jesus, we just commit Nikki and the project that you gave her the faith to believe in. And we know there's more. Please strengthen Nikki to be an encouragement to others through this gift of faith. A gift she didn't recognise she had. Lord, we thank you that you have used her to build your kingdom through the gift you've given her. And we just lift up the Thomas Project that it may continue to be your project doing your work. Amen. Thank you, sir. People don't always recognise they've got this gift, but it, people have. And at the end of the service, I'm actually going to ask you, I'm going to stand at the back,
to tell me if there's someone that you think, you know what, I think they've, they've, it might be about something I know nothing about, but they've stayed committed, they've stayed faithful, they've encouraged you, perhaps they've encouraged something in your life, or you know that people have, I don't know, come to faith or whatever. I just would love if you've got someone you think, you know what, I think their faith really speaks to me. Because um, it was somebody telling me about Pete that made me think about Pete. They recognized it in him. So we don't always recognize it in ourselves, but as a body, we are meant to encourage one another. Because it is for the glory of God. It is to build his kingdom. And what are the effects? Well, when we see that supernatural faith operates, and it's not always spectacular. Sometimes it's overshadowed by other things, but it just keeps on in there. It helps us see that God honors his promises. It means that we encounter God's power and we give him glory. We become more and more aware of what he's like. And we can say, we have a testimony, look at what the Lord has done. That increases our own faith. It might banish some of our doubts. It might encourage others to come to faith because they see that we're serving a trustworthy God. God gave Pete, Nikki, and I'm sure others of us the faith to see through his plans for Aldridge. But there are only some of his plans. Those projects are a comma. They're not a full stop. There is more. God moves us on. Amazing faith teaches us not to put our confidence in our own godliness or our own experience or our own familiar ways of doing things, our current church culture but to trust in the power and the wisdom and the goodness of God. We need to trust that Christ's ability to lead us absolutely outweighs any, any ability of the enemy to deceive us. Do not quench the spirit, it says in uh, Thessalonians. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amazing faith is all about God. I believe this congregation has people with this gift. Or it may be, or and it may be, that you would love to have the gift of amazing faith. Perhaps it is you already. Perhaps you're uncertain. Jesus encourages us, ask, seek, knock. A good father gives good gifts to his children. So if that is you, if there's a gift you want, or it's a gift you think you've got, at the end of the service, speak to John, or go for prayer with the prayer ministers, that they might discern it, or pray for it for you, and just share with you in that gift being revealed in your life. It's the faith that the words of the song we're about to sing calls us out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. APC needs to honour those who are going to move us on, whose faith is crucial in overcoming doubt and discouragement. 
so easy to sing it, but actually we need the Holy Spirit to live it. Amen.